Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Previously on Very Scary People, Ron DeFeo Jr. struggles to keep his motives straight in court while under oath. After all the evidence is in and the last witness has been called, the jury finds him guilty of six counts of second-degree murder. Ron Jr. would go on to spend the rest of his life behind bars. But while he was sitting in a prison cell doing penance for brutally murdering his family, the masses flocked to the theaters to watch a tale spun out of his act of murder. This time, though, 112 Ocean Avenue was the main character, an antagonist unto itself, that played a starring role in books and movies about the occult. Now, you all came out from Queens to try to look at the house. Why? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm waiting to see the movie just, you know, beforehand. Do you believe that all that really happened here? Yeah, I believe it. I believe. I believe in the devil. <laughs> Nearly five years after Ron Jr. murdered his family in the middle of the night in Amityville, New York, a movie inspired by this massacre hit theaters everywhere. Based on a book published in 1977, the film was called The Amityville Horror, starring Margot Kidder and James Brolin. The film grossed more than $86 million at box offices everywhere. It's an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in The Amityville Horror. The film has everything that comes to mind when you think of the late 1970s horror genre. There's the typical doe-eyed couple at the center of the movie looking for a fresh start in a new home, a place to build a family. The house they find, as you may have guessed, is just perfect. Three stories, gambler roof, and dormer windows in the attic that kind of look like eyes, and a tall chimney with a wraparound yard. It's elegant and available. Too good to be true. So the couple moves in. But soon, strange things begin to occur in the house. They feel a dark presence in the air around them. They start hearing unfamiliar, creepy voices in the comfort of their own home. 
doors slamming shut on their own. And yes, a priest shows up in the movie. His face is covered by buzzing flies, a sign there's a demonic spirit in the room, right? I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart! We've all experienced this version of terror on screen. If not in the Amityville horror, then in movies like The Exorcist and The Conjuring. Heck, I've even acted in a couple of movies like this myself. It's the paranormal and religious horror flick that's bound to keep you up at night. Released in 1979, the Amityville Horror was the first feature film to hit the big screen that depicted 112 Ocean Avenue after the DeFeos were murdered. But curiously, this movie is not about the DeFeos. It's not even about the murders. Instead, it's the story of a couple who moves into 112 Ocean Avenue and what happens in their new house after they unpack their boxes. It's a family we haven't even told you about yet. And George and Kathy Lutz and their three kids from her first marriage move into that house. But 28 days later, they ran for their lives. They claimed the house was demonized. They were driven out of this house by sheer terror and these unseen forces. From HLN, this is Very Scary People, The Amityville Murders. I'm your host, Donnie Wahlberg. This is Episode 6. Everyone loves a good ghost story. After Ron DeFeo Jr.'s trial, the Dutch colonial house on Ocean Avenue was put on the market. George and Kathy Lutz bought it. They were newlyweds, eager to start their life together. Here's TV journalist Laura DiDio. They were both divorced. Kathy had three children from her first marriage. And they had only been married that July, and they purchased the house. They moved into 112 Ocean Avenue in December 1975, a year after the DeFeo murders. The deaths that occurred in that house, it turns out, didn't spook them. And by the way, the Lutzes had purchased much of the furniture that the DeFeos had owned, including, by the way, the beds that the DeFeo children had slept in and you know, been murdered in. Weird, if you ask me. Anyway, Joel Martin reported on the murders and what happened afterward. He says the Lutzes got a great deal. It's seriously, it's a really lovely house. It cost in those years about $80,000, which today seems like it's not expensive for a house with property and an in-ground pool, the boats, and a, it was just beautiful. And from the outside, it was a wonderful place to live. The Lutzes and their kids enjoyed it until, well, until they didn't. So there's now a new family in there, and they're claiming that they were terrified by all kinds of things in there, you know, eerie shapes and noises and strange feelings. Just like in the trailer we played you at the beginning of this episode, according to the Lutzes, unexplainable things started happening to them at the house. For example, Kathy Lutz's aunt, who was a nun, came over to visit the house one day. Laura DiDio says the Lutzes told her that as soon as she stepped inside, her aunt apparently got physically sick, like she was doubled over, unwell. After that, according to the Lutzes, they asked a local priest, Father Ray Pecoraro, to bless the house. When he showed up, he heard a loud voice that came seemingly out of nowhere. 
The voice boomed and hissed, Get out! Get out! And then again, according to the Lutzes, the priest felt himself being slapped in the face. But nobody was there. Whoa. Something was terribly wrong, the Lutzes said. And just like in the Amityville horror movie, after living in the house for not even a month, the Lutzes moved out. Here's Marvin Scott recalling what George and Kathy Lutz were saying about the house. It was green and black slime coming from the walls. There was an infestation of flies. Their daughter saw this little pig out there, a pink pig out there. Uh, there were noises, there were sounds in the middle of the night. There were freezing temperatures in the house. Again, Laura DiDio, talking about the weird things George and Kathy Lutz said they observed at 112 Ocean Avenue. The ceramic lions, if anybody remembers Stephen King's movie The Shining, how the topiary garden with the different animal figures had started to move, George claimed that one of these lions came to life and bit him on the ankle. Kathy said she looked in the mirror one morning and her face, instead of being that of a 29-year-old, was that of an old hag. I gotta say, the wild imagination of these ghosts, are we sure they weren't film producers? I kid. But all of this is to say that the dark and haunting stuff we just told you about that allegedly happened at 112 Ocean Avenue in the short time they lived there truly surprised the Lutzes. They, of course, knew what happened to the DeFeos in the house. But this was next level. Was there something paranormal in that house? Or was this just a big fantasy? Whatever it was, it forced the Lutzes right out. And after they moved out in January 1976, the house was empty again. Interesting to me is that in 46 years, nobody has ever claimed, not from the Lutzes to anyone since, that the DeFeo family is haunting the house, which would have been a natural assumption given the circumstances. Joel Martin again. I figured here with this bad story, murders, maybe they get 30, 45 minutes, you know, and then, and then people forget and move on. That's not what happened. Before you know it, people are talking about this house allegedly being haunted because it was written about that way in, in some of the publications and newspapers, and the house was, it was just too strange for some reason. According to Rick Osuna, who wrote the book The Night the DeFeos Died, George and Kathy Lutz stood by their story about what they experienced on Ocean Avenue long after moving out. Mysterious illnesses, unexplained voices, phantom slaps and all. The Lutzes have gone through the years when they were still alive that this wasn't a hoax, it really happened to them. They, they were adamant about that. Joel Martin was skeptical, but he paid attention to the story they told. Close attention. Why would people, credible people, fairly, you know, reputable people, say something along those lines? So this is the kind of thing you have to deal with when you're researching this subject. So Laura DiDio did just that. She looked into it. There was nothing in either Kathy or George's background that was remarkable or that would point to the fact that they suddenly decided to wake up one day and perpetrate a hoax. Even if people who believe 
that the Lutzes did perpetrate a hoax and fabricate this entire thing, there's no way that the Lutzes were the Oracle of Delphi and could have predicted that their haunted house story, per se, was going to turn into this big media phenomenon the way it did. So was the house actually haunted? Depends on whom you ask and what you want to believe. But wait, there's more. Remember William Weber, Ron Jr.'s lawyer? He's back. Just around January 21st, 22nd, William Weber had a press conference in his offices with George and Kathy Lutz. Weber wanted the public to know what happened to the couple in the house, even if it had nothing to do with Ron Jr. And the Lutzes were eager to share their story. They had done their research. They approached William Weber and said, hey, did anything weird ever happen to the DeFeos out of the ordinary? So William Weber listened to the story. Some people suspect William Weber latched onto the Lutz's haunted house story to help Ron Jr. get out of prison on appeal. So basically, William Weber was quick to seize on the idea, hey, again, this is right after The Exorcist, few years after Rosemary's baby, maybe I can use possession as a potential grounds for the appeal. Again, not far-fetched in the context of the times. Perhaps Weber could make the claim that Ron Jr. was pulled into a trance of sorts on Ocean Avenue that caused him to kill his family. Amazingly, the theory gained traction. It got the media's attention. When that came out, and mainly, well, it was covered by some of the local stations that had happened, but was mainly in New York Newsday, again, the Long Island Press, etc. As the story was heating up, Joel Martin, the journalist and host with the Paranormal Radio Show, got a call from a parapsychologist named Steve Kaplan. A parapsychologist, by the way, is someone who studies the paranormal. In other words, the occult, ghosts. That sort of thing. And he calls me and he says, Martin, I've been on your show once before. I said, I remember you, pal. What's the problem? He says, the Amityville house. That's my problem. I said, What's, what do you want to know? He said, I don't want to know anything. I want you to know that's a hoax. I said, how do you know it's a hoax? What did you do to prove it's a hoax? I just know because I spoke to George Lutz and nothing makes any sense. I get too many contradictions. Uh, contradictions in the price of the house, contradictions in when they moved in, when they left, what happened. And he says, um, what I'd like to do is come on your show and tell people why it's not haunted. Joel was intrigued, even though Kaplan sounded sure the Lutzes were making it all up. The nun falling unaccountably ill after crossing their threshold and the priest hearing ghostly voices then getting slapped in the face when nobody was there, Joel wasn't about to just accept Kaplan's word for it. He wanted to do his own research. Besides, what was in it for the Lutzes to make this stuff up? So Joel booked attorney William Weber to come on his live WBAB radio show. Weber talked about all the spooky things going on at 112 Ocean Avenue the haunted and the paranormal stuff that the Lutzes had reported happening there. Though Joel remembers the conversation he had with Weber, he never heard the interview air, and all the copies of the transcript of the show were lost. Weird, right? That's because the night Weber was on Joel Martin's show, something terrible happened. 
things often took a dark turn when Joel was reporting on Amityville. I was stunned. So now the cat dies on the night of the murders, and now my daughter's mother is killed on the night I'm doing the interview to reveal a hoax. You might remember, Joel Martin was one of the first reporters on the scene of the murders back in 1974. When he came back home that night after filing his story, his pet kitten died in his hands. And now the mother of his child dies while he's talking to Ron DeFeo Jr.'s attorney about the paranormal at 112 Ocean Avenue? I know, everything's a coincidence. I've heard that, all right? You know, you, you gotta wonder. In this story, you really do. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. 
Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Around the same time this was all going down, in the early days of 1976, Lord DiDio was working as a producer at Channel 5 News in New York City. Like Joel, she was also intrigued by the occult. When the news director asked if she'd like to do a two-week series on the paranormal, she jumped at the chance. Her first job was to track down George Lutz. She called him, but he didn't pick up. George Lutz did call back. I wasn't in the office, but he refused to speak to anyone but me. So Laura took her tape recorder to the young couple. They talked for five and a half hours. And essentially the story that they told me as things began building, they had been visited by every supernatural plague other than, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman and the Mummy. But everything else was there. Levitations, they were talking about green slime, black stuff in the sink, flies congregating, personality changes where they were ordering the kids around and hitting them with wooden spoons. George could never get warm. He was constantly building fires. Their stories, Laura admits, were convincing. I have to say that if this was all a big premeditated hoax, then Kathy and George Lutz were, in fact, the Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep of their day because they gave Academy Award-winning performances. What I'm saying here is they seemed genuinely frightened and scared. Kathy was a very soft-spoken, very feminine-type woman. She spoke in a very low voice, almost breathy. You had to lean forward and strain to hear her. George, he was the stronger personality. But he seemed very, very affected by what had happened. And everything became a clue, every little thing. Laura knew it immediately. She had a great story on her hands. So two things. Number one, as a news organization, there was no way that Channel 5 was not going to do that story. Even if these people were the biggest fraudsters or showmen since P.T. Barnum. Because as my mentor and co-worker Marvin Scott said, everybody loves a good ghost story. So after that, it was arranged that we would have this seance on March 6th in 1976 at the house. You heard Laura Wright. A seance, which a Channel 5 news crew would film at 112 Ocean Avenue. The Lutzes had fled the house, but had unaccountably left many of their possessions behind. The gingerbread house Kathy made for her kids was intact. There was still food in the fridge. The liquor cabinet was stocked. The children's toys were strewn across the house, and not to mention, all of the DeFeo's old furniture was still there. The seance would happen on a Saturday night. Laura brought in her crew, plus a slew of psychic investigators, researchers, graduate students, and a photographer. Laura's co-worker at the TV station, Marvin Scott, got pulled into the seance too. We heard from Marvin earlier in this episode. That night, He'd been anchoring the news. His plan had been to finish the newscast and go to meet his wife at a dinner party. But the news director says, not 
you're going to Amityville. I said, not. He said, yes, I went. <laughs> After anchoring the broadcast, I was there at midnight, and I walked in, and here were about a dozen people around a big table, and had a uh, cross, a crucifix, a blessed candle, and a couple of psychics, and they started the seance. The house, in the still of the night, was lit up, even at midnight. Inside, Marvin found the journalists and the researchers sitting around a big table in the dining room. Psychics Mary Pascarella and Alberta Riley were there too, along with two parapsychologists named Ed and Lorraine Warren. You may not have heard of them, but the Warrens helped make the Conjuring horror film franchise. They're actually pretty well known for their investigations of the occult and the paranormal. In the middle of the table where everyone was sitting was a cross, a crucifix, and a candle. And with this group assembled, the seance began. Ed Warren, one of the parapsychologists, told everyone to sit quietly, turn off the lights, and meditate. And I remember sitting there with a recorder rolling, and suddenly I heard Mary Pascarella. She was going into this trance, and she said, I saw this blackness, but I sat there, and I was marveled. I'd never seen something like this before. A pall hung in the air. The psychic said they sensed something in the room with them, something not of this world. They believed whatever was there in the room with them was demonic and evil. It was black and dark and coming down the walls. Laura was sitting to Marvin's left. The parapsychologist Lorraine Warren began to speak. One point, we're sitting there and Lorraine is in a light trance and she's basically saying she feels that something was there from the bowels of the earth that was not any of the dead DeFeos. Marvin couldn't believe what he was seeing. He was sitting at a table of parapsychologists and clairvoyants who said they could intuit and speak to otherworldly presences. And they were pretty confident in the evil that they felt in the house. My jaw dropped. I had never been through something like that before. And then Alberta Riley, she went through her thing and my jaw dropped again. Alberta, the psychic, started screaming. She was panicked. It's upstairs in the second bedroom, in the second floor bedroom. I don't know what it was. And it's moving around. And she ran out of the room screaming. Then the other psychic, Mary, bolted from the dining room table and ran out to the front lawn, vomiting. One of the researchers named Alex Tanos from the American Society for Psychical Research in Manhattan was aghast. Alex Tanos... He said, this is one of the most haunted places I've ever felt. I'm like, everybody keeps feeling things. Things are happening to people. Suddenly, Lorraine, the parapsychologist, got up from the table and then stopped in her tracks. She said she had found something in the house. Ron Jr.'s spirit. And Lorraine burst. She said, Marvin, I want to tell you, this is the closest to hell I ever want to get. I never forgot that. For 30 minutes, the psychic's bodies writhed and twisted. They kept saying they sensed a demonic spirit that hung in the house. By 3.30 or 4 in the morning, the psychics had mostly calmed down. The parapsychologist had little more to say. The seance was over, and everyone went home. 
And that was my night in the house in Amityville, Long Island. So what happened? Was the house really haunted? I found no evidence that night I spent in that house in Amityville of anything unusual, anything demonic, anything of the occult. I saw no evidence of green slime oozing from the walls. I saw no evidence of infestation of flies. I know these people take it seriously, and I was there prepared to report what I saw and to experience anything unusual that might have happened. All I experienced was a slight chill behind the ear. Could have been anything. It was a cold March night. Door could have been open, a window open. But he admits that the night of March 6, 1976, still sticks with him today. It was an interesting night, and I reported it as I saw it. And here I am, 45 years later, still talking about it. You could say this is one story that haunts me four decades later. You might say this seance and what happened or didn't happen inside the Amityville home, the truth of it ultimately didn't matter. There were enough people who believed that something in the Amityville house was haunted and that something in the house possessed Ron Jr. to kill his family in cold blood. This speculation about the unknown was enough to become a living, breathing thing of its own. It spawned an entire industry, one that, as we've mentioned, includes a number of books, which then inspired films about the Amityville Ocean Avenue house. So much of the story's facts have been overshadowed by eerie fiction. A tragic murder became a never-ending series of haunted house movies. And you can see why. Though the DeFeos were tragically murdered in that house in real life, this story has all the twists and turns of a juicy Hollywood blockbuster. But the DeFeo murders serves as a horrific, grisly foundation to that book and story. Weber and George and Kathleen Lutz met while the trial was going on to concoct uh, the Amityville Horror. Author Rick Osuna. No family had ever reported anything before. No family had ever reported anything after the DeFeos outside of the Lutzes, who obviously profited from this book and movie. In case you didn't catch that, Rick is saying that no one who lived at 112 Ocean Avenue outside of the Lutzes ever reported anything out of the ordinary happening at the Amityville home, aside from Big Ronnie DeFeo Sr. praying to statues in the front yard at odd hours. George and Kathy Lutz profited from their account of all the wild things they say happened there, though, through books and movies. Ron DeFeo Jr. wasn't making a dime behind bars, and he was pretty pissed he wasn't getting his cut. But his role in the real-life story certainly added to the intrigue. Here's Marvin Scott again. And everyone was making money off of this except him. And he was furious at uh, the attorney, Bill Weber, because he feels he got cut out of any deal that they were talking about of making fortune as people over the years have made with Peter the Books and the films, uh, and he was cut out of it. We don't know if Weber ever promised Ron Jr. a cut of the proceeds from the books and movies based on the Amityville murders. Weber died years ago, so we can't ask him. But here's what we do know. William Weber confessed to concocting the whole thing, all the strange stuff going on in the Ocean Avenue house when the Lutzes were living there. The sick nun, the voices hissing from the walls, Weber and the Lutzes made it all up. 
Weber said so on Joel Martin's radio show in 1979, the one Joel says he never actually heard after it aired. As the story goes, or at least the way Joel Martin tells it, William Weber and George Lutz had one too many bottles of wine one night and dreamt up the paranormal plot we just told you about. Weber wanted a new trial for his client and thought this story would help Ron Jr. get out of prison on appeal. It would help prove that Ron Jr. was insane when he killed his family. And George Lutz, he wanted out of his expensive mortgage on 112 Ocean Avenue. The relationship between Weber and the Lutzes would go on to get even crazier. Weber would later file a lawsuit against the Lutzes to the tune of $60 million, saying they reneged on a book deal the three were part of. They settled out of court for $2,500. So maybe everything wasn't so haunted after all. The only thing about that house that's haunted was Ron DeFeo. He's the haunted individual, not the house. So many things that come out, the facts have been perverted, conflated. Ron DeFeo did admit at one point that uh, the house was not... There was no demon in the house. He said, I am the demon. Drive to Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York today, and you'll find the house at the center of the Amityville horror story. More than five decades later, it's still standing. You might find other people there, too hoping to learn something about the house made famous by so many books and movies. Even today, it's still easy if you drive down Ocean Avenue. You will see a few cars at whatever point during the day or evening slow down because you know they're looking for the house. You may remember Paula Uribuero. She was Don DeFeo's friend. But over the years, you know, they've had to put up a fence with no trespassing because people tried to take souvenirs, uh, you know, from the house and things like that. The current owners have altered the looks of the house, changed the address, but it doesn't stop the superfans. In the town, the one with the gazebo and beautiful canals and cottage-style homes, it's still the same old town. In fact, a lot of people who lived there in the 1970s are still there today. And now there's a new generation of families in Amityville. And those people don't think too much about the blockbuster movies inspired by the DeFeo murders and the house where they were committed. The murder. I mean, whenever people talk about the Amityville horror, anyone associated with who knew the family or lived there or still lived there, they don't think about the, the book. They think about the family that was lost. And despite the supposed hauntings that surround the property, the ghosts, the levitations, the slime, the Ocean Avenue house keeps getting bought and keeps getting sold. And for a pretty good price, too. Welcome to Amityville. And the house that put it on the map is on the market. Listing price, $1.15 million. Real estate agents say the five-bedroom Dutch colonial is far from a horror. The only thing that scared me was the taxes. Does it feel any different than any other house? Oh, yeah. When you walk in, you definitely feel the vibe. Now, I don't know if it's just my imagination playing on me, but I can definitely tell you, you feel it. <laughs> Years later... Some still have questions about the paranormal presence at the house. But behind all these rumors, and behind the best-selling books and cult classic films, the house is just a house. 
The house boasts four bedrooms, a pool, dock, and as you can see, an impressive water view. So I haven't seen any ghosts, uh, no blood on the walls, no flies. When Rick Osuna thinks about the murders, he thinks about the six people who lost their lives in the interviews he did with Ron Jr. about the DeFeos. Without the Amityville Horror franchise, the DeFeos would have likely faded into memory decades ago. What sickens me about the Amityville Horror is six human beings had to die to give that book or story any type of credibility. And now it's a Hollywood cottage industry. Again, Laura DiDio. The real Amityville Horror, besides the murders, is that at its foundation, it is a story of greed. Decades later, we still don't have the answers to everything that happened the night the DeFeos died. Why were the bodies of Big Ronnie, Louise, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew found in the same position, face down in their beds? Why didn't any neighbors hear the gunshots from the cowboy gun used to commit the crime? Did the mob have anything to do with these grisly murders? But at the end of the day, Maybe the answers to these questions don't really matter. Six people were violently murdered. There was a nuclear family that was essentially destroyed. And the Lutz family, those three kids, their lives were upended by this because the Lutzes, they let the bank take over and foreclose on the house. Other people who have lived there subsequently claim that nothing has ever happened and it's all a tired old ghost story. For Joel Martin, the truth lies with Ron DeFeo Jr. The real horror concerning Ronnie DeFeo Jr., however he killed the, the, the parents and his brothers and sisters, and he loved his, supposedly loved the kids, none of it makes any sense. What I would say is that what George and Kathy Lutz created was a hoax. I don't believe the things, the events, uh, the paranormal or occult events they said was in any way other than their fantasy, their creation. We'll never get the full story of what happened that fateful night on November 13th, 1974. All we have are composites, snapshots of the scene and the house itself. Our questions will never be explained, and it's not just because they're inexplicable or because they involve the paranormal. It's because the one man who knew the truth to these questions can't answer them anymore. In 2021, Ron DeFeo Jr. died at a hospital in Albany, New York, from natural causes. He was 69 years old. Will we ever know the true story of what happened that night? What motivated Ron DeFeo? Only Ron DeFeo can answer that. Very scary people. The Amityville Murders is hosted by me, Donnie Wahlberg. It's a production of HLN in collaboration with Neon Hum Media and is based on an original series created by CNN executive producer Nancy Duffy. At CNN, our senior producer is Sabina Ryman. Our producer is Allison O'Brien. And our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Alexander McCall leads audience strategy for our show and Jameis Andrist designed our artwork. From Neon Hum Media... Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Kate Mishkin is our producer. And our associate producers 
are Chloe Chobel and Navani Otero. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Theme and original music composed by Asha Ivanovich. Additional music came from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Our fact checker on this series is Justin Cloxo. Special thanks to Tara Lawrence, Michael Reyes, Courtney Coop, Tamika Balance Kalasny, Ashley Lusk, Robert Mathers, Christian DeChateau, Lisa Namoro, and John Dianora. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.